Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit with you guys, and we're going to continue in our Gospel of John series. This morning, we'll look at the feeding of the 5,000, um, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And just to kind of give you the road ahead, um, this next Sunday, the first Sunday of spring break, I'm going to pr- take a break from John and do Psalm 118, which I'll be preaching at RUF in a few weeks. And then um, the second Sunday of spring break, we'll come back to John, talk about Jesus walking on the water. And then on the 31st, I believe Chris Moody will be preaching. I don't see him. He's somewhere out there. Where? There he is. You ready for that? This is how we do this. We make the schedule right here. No, we've, we've talked about it. And then in April, we'll begin with the rest of John, the bread of life, moving into John 7, um, and then into Easter. So uh, that's where we are. This morning's miracle, I think, is probably the most famous miracle Jesus performs, feeding 5,000. Uh, it's the only miracle to be in four of the Gospels, or all four Gospels. And I don't want to say that makes it more important, because it certainly doesn't, right? But I do want to say there is a temptation for all of us to think, well, I've heard this, or this will be interesting. I'll just kind of pay slightly attention to this. I think Jesus would have you this morning lean in and ask, what am I missing? Like, what can I learn from this amazing miracle? If it were to happen in my presence, what would I see in it? So let us try to enter into this miracle, understanding it in our context, and hopefully grow closer to Jesus in that process. So John 6, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let us pray. Father, you see our need. You've provided your son, Jesus, and we eat, Lord. And part of that process, Lord, though we are saved, if we are in you, we, we come this morning freshly to your gospel to ask that we would have another meal. Lord, we are already saved, but we pray for reviving. We pray that our, our souls would be united to yours. We pray for a revival in our congregation, in our own lives, in our families, for your glory. Amen. So when I was about eight years old, I started thinking about this memory. Um, 
You know how after like an event you go to Brahms, if you're from Oklahoma or wherever Brahms is? Well, we were doing this. It was my grandparents. I think my dad was there, my brother. I don't remember the event, but we were there, and a man comes in. My grandparents knew everybody in town at the time, and this man came in, and they knew this guy, and he walks over to me, and he pulls out a pocket knife, closed and safe, and from behind my head, he takes it to my, from the left side of my head, and he makes it pass through my ear to the other hand. It was in his other hand. Like, he made it go through my brain, right? And I was like, wow. And the look, I, I'm remembering as an adult, the look on my grandparents' faces were kind of like, oh, that's cute. This is the guy that always does his magic tricks, you know, when he meets new kids. But for me, I thought this really happened. And I got really excited, and I started talking to my dad about it, and he had a book on magic, and he gave me the book, and I remember reading through it, both encouraged, like, hey, there's tricks, and you can learn how to do magic, but it was disheartening. Like, I remember the, there's one, you know, the whole handkerchief disappearing? Well, here's how you do it. You take a ping pong ball, you cut a hole, it's in your hand, you put the handkerchief in the ping pong ball, and somehow you move the ping pong ball, and then the magic, the handkerchief is gone. So I was learning magic, but I was also realizing it's different. It's illusion. It's not what I thought. It doesn't quite, it's neat. It's fun at parties. When you're my age or older, it becomes a little weird. But um, there, I still, as I started studying this passage, I just thought, what is it in the child and the adult that just we long for something greater. We long that something like that might have happened. Like th this, this group of people came and followed Jesus because he was doing things that were miraculous. And it reveals, and what I want us to process a little bit, is that there's a longing in each of us. There's a hunger in each of our souls, a, a dream that maybe something greater is out there. Yet, I think most of the time, and what we're going to process through this discussion is we, we stuff that down with strategies and life thoughts and books on magic and whatever it is that tell us it's not real. And Jesus is coming in this, in this passage, in this miracle, to you and I to remind us of that longing in our souls and to say, he is the only way to fill your longing. Like That's what I want us to understand. That Jesus will satisfy, we just sang it, all of your longings. So the three things we're going to look at is, one, you are hungry. We are hungry people. We have longings. Two, Jesus sees you. That's important. I don't just mean kind of casually, like he is looking at you. And three, Jesus lavishly feeds you. That's what we're going to look at in our discussion this morning. We will not exhaust this miracle but hopefully we will process these three things and come out the other side realizing Jesus loves us and we love him. And we will grow in him. So first point, we are hungry. The Bible operates on this assumption that there's a longing inside of you. In fact, in the book of John, we've already seen it with the woman at the well where Jesus says, I've got water that doesn't run out. In our passage later, we're gonna see Jesus say, I'm the bread of life. And in chapter 7, he goes into a large assembly hall in Jerusalem, stands up and says, I have living water. Whoever is thirsty, come to me. And that was enticing. So we need to understand this reality that there is a hunger in all of us. 
a desire in all of us. Now, in this passage, where we see that is in verse 2, kind of. It says, and a large crowd was following him, and then John tells us the reason, because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, first you hear that and you think, well, that's not the same as hungering, is it? Like, that's different. But I want to just say it implies a couple of things. Um, This passage ends, and next week, or in a few weeks, we'll talk about this, that this, this congregation, this group, this number, we'll talk about the number in a little bit, this thousands of people, they were going toward Jesus because they were longing for a military coup, right? They were wanting to take out Rome. There was a hunger in them that wanted to remove Rome from Jerusalem and Israel. I don't know if it was fully formed in their minds, but the number 5,000, referring only to men, most likely refers to the fact that there were 5,000 fighting, able-bodied men in that, congregation, in, that room, in that group. So they had families, they had children, they had other people. Some, people, some scholars would say up to 20,000, but the number of fighting men, 5,000. And they've come because they've realized Jesus can heal the sick. And that's revealed to them that there's something amazing. In, uh, uh, how do I say this? I have, a, I have an illustration that's coming. That's one of my strangest illustrations I've ever said. But I'm going to set it up this way because I've already enticed you. You're like, really? Leaning in? Uh, we know there are sick people and we've become numb to that. Like we've become numb. Like, yeah, you're sick. You got the cold. You got a flu. I'm sorry. Something worse, maybe something debilitating, something that's, that's terminal. We've learned to numb ourselves to that because we don't believe there's hope. And when Jesus starts healing sick people, I think they realize, oh, like I've become numb. Like this is huge. Even if I'm not one of the ones he's healed or one of my own children, this is significant. Okay, here's the illustration. I'm driving to balance. If you don't like this illustration, I'm with you. I'm driving to Balance Coffee the other day. I'm just in my zone. I've already come in and kind of set up, and I go get a cup of coffee, talk to some people, and I see roadkill. Okay, we all have seen that. It was a kitten. Yeah. I don't like cats, but, that's, but they are cute. But here's what really stuck out. Ready? This is, I'm sorry, children, but there were two of them. Now, I see it, and I'll tell you what my thoughts were in a minute. I go get coffee, I, do, I talk, whatever, I get, like, I'm coming back, I see it again. I can't get it out of my head. And here's what I realized. Why does two kittens make it worse other than the fact that there were two? They were playing. Like they were running. They were being cute. Like all of a sudden, they weren't a raccoon doing bad things and I didn't mind so bad. This was cute pets frolicking and being fully kitten when the tragedy happened. And what I realized was I desperately want to ignore those thoughts. Like, I don't want my mind to envision that. I don't want to let my heart process that because I have no solution for that. So what I do is I go to songs like from uh, Lion King, right? It's the circle of life. Like, we create these ways of medicating the tragedies of our world. And yet the reality is that is sad. And if that was your kitten, it would change your life, especially if you're a child. So, what do I say? What's going on with that? How are you numbing your longing? 
What are the techniques that you've told yourself, I'm not hungry, I want to go to war, right? I'm not thirsty, I just want to go in and, and be a part of this religious group, right? What are the hunger and the longings and the thirst of your life that you've not identified because we've lost hope that someone would satisfy them? So I think the first thing we see in our passage in this beautiful miracle is though this crowd thinks one thing, Jesus knows another thing. He knows they have a longing and a hunger. Later in the passage, when they find him, right, they track him down. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks, so I can give you the kind of the pre, uh, the pre something view, the pre view of the uh, sermon is they show up and they're like kind of incensed. Like, where did you go? And he says, you're not after me because of the sign. You just want more bread. You just want me to do miracles for you. So I think what we're seeing in this passage, we need to begin to understand is there is a deep longing that if we won't identify, we'll miss Jesus. And we'll talk more as we go. But point number two then, Jesus doesn't miss that reality. He sees us. He sees you. Right? Look at verse 2. Excuse me. Look at verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus says to Philip, and I'll stop there. The Bible is very brief. This story could be extremely long. Most of us would write thousands of words to describe this event, and we probably wouldn't have even said that many words about Jesus seeing. For John, he makes this point that Jesus is aware of something. He lifts his eyes and he sees the crowd. And he knows something. He's aware of something, right? He says he knew what he would do. So he asks Philip the question, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? But he knows what he's going to do. He knows they're hungry and he sees them. When a, an author I'm kind of becoming more familiar with, Kurt Thompson, I mentioned him last week, but not in a sermon. Um, the Soul of Shame is probably his most famous book. He wrote The Anatomy of the Soul. He's a Christian neurobiologist. He just, this line sticks out from one of his writings. He's talking about shame, but he says, we all are born into the world looking for someone, looking for us. And the rest of our lives we're searching for that. Are you aware, not that you have a hunger, not only that you have this hunger, but that you're longing for someone to see you? Do you see how much of your behavior, how much of what you do or don't do, is, is somewhat chiseled by the fact that, that there is this deep need, God-given need to be seen? And in our passage, Jesus sees the crowd. He sees their need long before they recognized it. There's a story uh, I've read before, and again, it's, this is a good story, but it, it makes this point. It's Laura Ingalls Wilder, so we went from uh, dead kittens, which is not good to talk about in sermons, to Laura Ingalls Wilder. Little House on the Prairie, I think that's an uptick. Okay? We're moving in the right direction. This is actually not from that. It's from her, a book she wrote called The Farmer's Bo- Farmer Boy. She marries this uh, man, Almanzo, who's also a character in her Little House series, or uh, he plays a role in that. And here's the story. Um, in that, you know, it's, in the, it's back in the old, not the old West, but older West, Midwest. No one really knows. Anyway, uh, farm culture, 
Almanzo goes to the fair for the first time. He's maybe four or five, maybe he's three or four. Um, and, and there's a crowd around an animal. And so Almanzo begins to work his way through the crowd. He's this little boy and he's left his dad and he's gone just a few feet, but through this thick crowd. And he's come out of the crowd face to face with a creature that looks something like a horse, but the tails are bare, the tail was bare, and there's hair and a bristly mane and long ears. And this creature gets right in his face and it kind of pulls his lips back and these yellow nasty teeth come out and, and Almanzo's bulging eyes can't believe what he's seeing. And then the creature, it's a donkey. Just FYI. Makes, and I don't like to do this because it just doesn't, he makes a donkey noise. Do I need to make the noise? Who said no? Oh, thanks, Cindy. You're, are you trying to bail me out or you just don't want to hear? Okay. The noise of just a hee-haw. Okay, there you go. Right in his face, and everyone does what you just said. Everyone laughs, and he's terrified. And everyone's laughing, and he just begins to go backwards, and he's just running backwards. And as they're laughing at him, he's yelling in utter terror, and he hits his father, and his father embraces him. And the way Laura Ingalls Wilder writes it is this. uh, While everyone's laughing at him, only his father did not laugh. My dad would have laughed. I'm not trying to, all often we would have laughed. To have a father who would be so aware of your pain, even in a seemingly harmless situation, that would let you run into him and look at you and hold you and let you know everything is okay, I see you, is a beautiful thing. And we are longing for that. You are longing for that. And Jesus provides that. And in this story, Jesus is showing them that he sees them. Right? One of the things, don't think I'm getting too psychological. I have come back from the Allender Center. Maybe a little bit of that's going to rub off in a few weeks. But one of the things we talk about in counseling is how our parents, part of how they see us is they provide the emotional response that's appropriate in the moment. Right? So in a good parental relationship, you might come in like, Mom, Dad, ah, and they can like calm you down. It's, it's called their affect. And you would mirror it, hopefully, or over time, or possibly, you know. And they would not, often what parents do is they match yours. Like, what is it? Ah, and now they're just as upset as you, and you're both upset. A good parent, well, which we all, if you can do this a few, like 30 to 40% of the time, you're a good parent, would, would stay calm. Okay? Here's Jesus. I want you to hear what's happening. Here come 5,000 men and maybe their families. They brought nothing. There's no food. Some people want to say, no, they probably brought, no. They brought no food. They're going to war. And Jesus sees them. What does he say? Have them sit down. Can you imagine? Like, I, I picture that Braveheart scene with these guys like with tin cans and homemade weapons. and like, Just sit down in the grass. There's lots of grass. Just sit down. Right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sit down. Now, you look hungry. I'm going to feed you. What a loving Savior we have. 
And this, this is what the means of grace do for us. The Lord's Supper, a sermon preached, joining together and singing and saying scripture, praying together, processing life together. These are ways Jesus looks at you and says, you are going to be okay. Let's sit down. Let's have a meal. And we rest in his soul. He sees you and he loves you. So that sets us up for our last point. I just, thank you. Thank you. Someone sees me. Dan sees my eyes looking for my time left. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. I'm currently at 21 minutes, so I only have 30 left. Ready? Point three. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus provides your food lavishly. Okay? So he, uh, we're hungry. We don't even know it. He sees us, and he calls us in, and he sets us down, and now he's going to provide in our passage. And let's just do the story. Here's the rest of the story, right? Paul Harvey um, there's a boy, Andrew tells us, that has five barley loaves and two fish. Barley, by the way, only appears in this version, this gospel. It's an added descriptor. To basically, really poor. Like this child is poor, maybe a slave. Uh, it's interesting. I, I'm going to just throw out conjecture. Uh, Andrew sounds better than, you know, at least, you know, Philip's like, it's going to take 200 denarii. That's like eight months of wages or whatever. Just send him home. Like Andrew appears to be saying, or we could feed everyone these things, right? The five loaves and the fish, the two fish. I think Andrew's saying, let's eat really quickly. Like, there's only like about 20 of us. They're coming. If we eat it, we'll be nourished and we can preach the gospel. Okay, that's the Christian version. And then they'll deal with it later. And I love it because Jesus is like, yeah, great. He's got that. Bring it here. Have the people sit down. And they do. And he takes the loaves and he, and he blesses this Moment, and he then feeds what might be up to 20,000 people. Have you ever gone to a meal, and this is a rhetorical question because the answer is every single time, where you wonder, am I going to get enough? You're calculating like, okay, there's only, you know, last night I made salmon. I think about how many people I have in my family. Like, what are we going to get, right? Can you, but what does it feel like when you look and there is so much food, you just can rest? And there's more in the kitchen. Don't worry. You can just sit down. And, and it keeps coming. Bread and fish. And it's delicious. And I just envision this scene of these people who thought they were going to war having a picnic. Like they're relaxed. They're full of peace. And Jesus is loving them. And now I want to give you what I think is the backdrop for this story to really understand what's happening here. Uh, you may have noticed I passed over it. At the very beginning of our story, it says in verse 4, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. What's the Passover? Do you remember in Egypt, all of Israel, were, were, they were slaves. And, and the Passover is the meal that celebrates their rescue out of slavery into freedom. Now also, they go to Mount Sinai, Right, to the base of a mountain, and Moses is on the mountain. And it seems like Jesus is showing he is the true Moses with his disciples, and they are, they are here to minister to the captives of which we are. We are all 
the captives longing for freedom. And we are made for rescue. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week. He talks about Isaiah 61. And, uh, and in Luke 4, uh, this is the fir- kind of the first time Jesus gets up at the synagogue. And it's like, here you go, Jesus, all of your life. What do you want to do? He opens the scroll and he simply reads. I know a lot of you think this would be great, Ryan. Like, why don't you just read the passage and sit down? Jesus read the passage and sat down. And he said, but he added one little thing that I, could, I cannot add, right? In your presence, this is fulfilled. So Jesus gets up in front of people who might want to take him out, reads a scripture, and then says, I, Jesus, am fulfilling this in your presence. And here's the passage he read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And Dan, I think we have a slide for that, right? Isaiah 61. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, listen to these last lines, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus has come to set you free. That's why he's here. That's why this story is present. They came thinking they were going to do something, and Jesus says, sit down. Let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here to feed you. You don't know it, but you're hungry. And you don't realize it, but you're longing for someone to see you. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to tell you, I see you. And I'm going to feed you. Um, Closing illustration is from the Bible. And I've used this recently, but I'm tweaking it a little because it's just Peter. So this week, um, by the way, for Lent, whether you want to give up something or not, maybe you saw my Facebook thing. Uh, I think it would be wonderful to listen to the podcast that I, I think it's on our church's Facebook. You can start with day five on Monday um, and just go every morning. It's like 12 minutes. A lot of times like, what should I do? What's my application from the sermon? Ryan doesn't give application. Here's my application. For Lent, in the mor- sometime maybe in the morning before the day gets going, take 12 minutes where you can put your earbuds in or whatever they're called, your pods or bud earbuds or whatever. And just listen. And he goes through scripture. There's actually a few readers. Uh, you meditate, and it takes you through a very awesome time of worship. Now, you don't have to do that. You may have another thing you want to do. Just a suggestion. Day number three, he reads from Luke 22. And as I'm listening to this twice, I just thought, I don't think I've ever seen this before. So here's what it is Jesus comes to Peter. They're having a conversation. In Luke 22, and Jesus says, Peter, or he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. Like, basically, Satan wants to take you out. Now, I, Jesus says, have prayed for you and for your faith. What do you think when you hear that? Right? Like, that was a close call. Jesus intercedes, and and, and that's beautiful. 
What does Peter say? I, well, let me just read it because I don't have it memorized. Sorry. I, pause, Luke 22. Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In other words, prayer answered. I'm coming with you, right? And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. So wait a minute. Like today, I'm going to walk up to three different human beings and tell them I don't know you? Like, really? Is that possible? Do you all think that your life is about never messing up? Is that what it's about? Peter thinks, prayer answered, I'm never going to sin again. And Jesus is like, oh, tonight you will do three things that are worse than anything you can imagine. Then what's the prayer? And how did you answer it, Jesus? Right? What's the answer? John 21. What is John 21? The end of John. Peter jumps out of the boat swims to Jesus who's now resurrected and cooking fish and they have a meal and Jesus says Peter do you love me yes I love you feed my sheep three times Jesus prays for you not that you would never mess up not that you'll never stray not that you'll never have a problem or that your sin is completely removed but that as you struggle in this life, as you see actual ways you deny Jesus, you will run to him. And he's saying, I've come for the brokenhearted. Well, guess who cannot go to him if they're not brokenhearted? You cannot go to Jesus if he's coming for the brokenhearted if you're not brokenhearted. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't go out and sin. Don't go out and do bad things to prove it. But do not avoid the mercy seat of Jesus. Run to him. Eat of him. Drink of him. Let's pray. Father, we read these miracles. We read Isaiah 61 and the words, oak of righteousness is what we remember. And we forget all of these ways you've said that you have brought us out of poverty. You've given us a new headdress instead of ashes. You've given us gladness instead of mourning, garments of praise. We long for that, and we have that because of Jesus. Father, we know that you have sent your son. Jesus, we know that you've called us in our hunger and our longing. You have fed us. You have seen us. And in a moment, we'll partake of a meal that you have set aside to nourish us continually because we know that until we see you face to face in heaven, this world is both glorious and ruined and so are we. And Father, I pray that our response to our own messed up broken ways would be to run more fully into your arms for eating and fellowship with you and the body of Christ, that we'd have laughter, that we'd have joy even this side of heaven knowing that one day, someday, you will wipe away all of our tears. 
We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. Come soon. Come now. Come in this meal. Amen.